Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, jumping from a big company to a startup. This is not a town where people take a lot of risks. There's a lot of lawyers and government people and people in policy. And, you know, when you say, oh, I work at a startup or I work at a small technology company, you know, some people will smile and move on and some people will want to know more. I'm here in the studio with Gail Westwasser. She is currently SVP Communications and Business Development at HomeSnap, where she's working to change how people purchase their homes. No mean feat there. <laughs> she's getting the message out about how the company's products and services are relevant. And in my experience, doing that well is really an art form. I've seen lots of people do it really, really badly over the years. Gail's worked across a number of industries, agency-side crisis communications, in-house at a large media company, Discovery Communications here in town, and, and now at HomeSnap. We're going to talk a bit about the differences, what it's like to work in a bigger or smaller company, and also what's it like to work in D.C. when you're not involved in government or law. So, Gail, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Well, what are the big differences in your experience working with a larger company versus a smaller one? Well, when you work at a smaller company, you really have the luxury to be able to try things out without a whole lot of people telling you no. So, uh, you know, I, I have worked at HomeSnap now for four and a half years. We're now at around 86 employees. But I think when I started, I was probably about number 14. So it was the type of thing that, you know, if you want to get something done, you just do it. Uh, you know, obviously you get sign off from the right people and you have them weigh in on things and have them approve stuff. But generally, when you're at a small company, there's so much to be done and there's so little time to do it that... There's not a lot of slowdown with some of the layers of uh, bureaucracy and um, corporate uh, matrices, matrices, I guess is the word that you have at big companies. I would have thought that with the, um, the smaller business, it also magnifies the, the risk if you get something wrong, though, right? Uh, yes and no. I mean, when you're a smaller company, you've got fewer eyes on you. Uh, so you can take a few more risks and know that they won't be seen by as many people uh, if you try to do some experimentation. So, um, yes, in, in some ways, you know, resources are more limited. So you don't have huge budgets to go down certain roads and then abandon them and, and you know, not get your money's worth out of them. But as far as uh, freedom to experiment and try different things and, uh, you know, sort of take on different personalities or or attempt different uh, tactics, I have found a lot more freedom and leeway at a smaller company than at a bigger one. So if I'm thinking about starting a career in an in industry, what's the argument for being a larger company? It sounds like I get a lot more responsibility. I get a lot more opportunity to learn from mistakes. Why would somebody join a large company? Then? Well, large companies, of course, have great benefits. They, had, they do have much larger budgets, so you can do a lot more. Um, you may have a much uh, wider product base or maybe you're, you know, working with different brands, you get different experience. And I think, you know, working in a big company can be invaluable in teaching you how to manage, teaching you how to work with different types of personalities. Um, those are all really important skills, too. So I don't regret in any way the years I spent in big companies. Um, and I think I do use those skills on a very regular basis. But as far as where do I feel personally more comfortable, I think it's usually in a smaller environment. So I've worked as an investor in a lot of small businesses. I've run large organizations, been involved with small organizations. My best argument really is that 
work in a large organization, you learn a lot really fast. Uh, sort of create the core competencies is what it feels like to me. That's true. And I think larger companies do often a better job of mentoring, of paying attention to employees' uh, professional growth. Sometimes there's more formal training programs. When you work at a small company, that stuff, you kind of have to get on the fly in a much more casual and informal way. And you have to take more initiative to train and learn. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, everything's a trade-off. Well, that's true. Everything is a trade-off. And, you know, speaking of trade-offs, I often find that the the biggest conversation stopper I can come up with is when people turn to me and say, so what do you do? Yeah. Everybody in D.C. And what do I do? I don't know. I have a radio show. I'm an entrepreneur. And that is, it's crickets. Do you find that when you went from Discovery, which is a name brand here in town, to HomeSnap, which is coming along, but when you started there was not, how do people react when you take an entrepreneur risk in this town? Yeah, that's true. I mean, certainly it can be a conversation stopper with some people. There's no question about that. Um, but I think people are interested sometimes to hear that there are people out there doing something a little different, something a little risky. This is not a town where people take a lot of risks. There's a lot of lawyers and government people and people in policy and um, you know, when you say, oh, I work at a startup or I work at a small technology company, um, the, you know, some people will kind of smile and move on and some people will want to know more. Uh, with a company like HomeSnap, because we have a product that's very accessible to a lot of people, everyone has a home search story. Most people I talk to have either just bought or they're thinking about buying or they weren't curious to know what the value of their home is. So, they often have a lot of follow-up questions for me. How do we differ from Zillow? How do we differ from Redfin? Why should they use HomeSnap? Sometimes I whip my phone out and, you know, do a quick little demo on the fly or do some, I call them little party tricks. So maybe I'll show them a little bit of confidential agent information that I'm not supposed to show. And, um, you know, I think people generally can can relate to a home search app. Yeah, I love the app. I think it's really a great thing to be able to just point it at a home and, and learn so much about it. I, I commend you on it. I think it's super Last before I let you, let you go, uh, you're in the business of getting people to appreciate what HomeSnap does for previously uh, Discovery and other places. How, what's the right way to make your business stand out? Help our listeners out. I think the best way is truly to understand what makes you different from your competitors and why do your customers and clients like you. And then just to really focus on those attributes because that's what that's what resonates with your audience. If you uh, spend time telling them what you think they want to hear or what your kind of stated messaging and corporate talking points are, you know, that comes across as corporate talking points. But if you really take the time to understand your audience and figure out what makes them click, what do they respond to emotionally? What is it that's going to prompt a reaction out of them, whether it's teaching them something or you're delivering something of emotional value to them, or you're entertaining them, making that type of emotional connection really makes a tremendous difference. And that's what I would focus on if you are trying to figure out how to do your messaging around your brand. Great advice. Thanks very much for taking the time, Gail Westwasser. It was wonderful having you here. Thank you. It's great to be here. And now, non-billable consult with legal expert, Andrew Sherman. So a client calls me recently in absolute shock that a critical piece of software that his company sells and has developed that he paid a series of independent contractors to write actually belongs to them and not to him. He was in complete disbelief. This issue has become more common in what we're now calling the gig economy. 
the free agent nation. Whatever nickname you call it, outsourcing, anytime people who are not employees of your company are developing trade secrets or processes or software, basically they are independent contractors and the work for hire provisions apply. By 2025, 40% of our workforce will be independent contractors. So this is an issue you need to grasp. In a Supreme Court case that involved a nonprofit organization right here in Washington, D.C., the court shifted decades of the presumption that he who pays owns. And now the presumption is he who creates owns. So if you're dealing with independent contractors, the law now requires that you've got to get it in writing and you've got to make it clear exactly who owns what and for what purpose and for what scope. These contractual provisions have real costs and consequences. For example, if my client ever sells his business or goes to raise capital, these issues will come up in due diligence and possibly millions of dollars in consequence and impact will affect valuation if it turns out that this company does not have ownership rights to its most critical product and service lines. So get it in writing, get it right, and make sure that you actually own what you think you own when it comes to your critical business assets. That was your non-billable consult with legal expert Andrew Sherman. Thank you to our sponsor, Tedco. Tedco invests in early stage tech and life science companies. It provides resources and connections that companies need to thrive in Maryland. Tedco's mission is to discover, invest in, and help build great companies. Learn more at www.tedco.md. And a thank you to our sponsor, JLL. JLL is a leading commercial real estate service company within the Washington, D.C. metro area, serving the technology, government contracting, and professional services industries. JLL's strategy-led approach and expert implementation results in cost-effective and flexible real estate solutions that help their clients succeed and grow. Thank you to Speakerbox Communications. Speakerbox is your team for meeting the unique demands of the technology sector, crystallizing complex ideas, targeting highly intelligent buyers, and moving at the speed of tech. Since 1997, they've given voice to many of our industry's top thinkers and performers. Check them out at speakerboxpr.com. And thanks to our sponsor, Tandem Product Academy. If you're looking to grow a software technology business and you're past your first five employees or your first half million dollars of revenue, their free educational program will teach you how to grow your business. Supported by a broad group of our region's leading business organizations and local governments, Tandem Product Academy is free to participants. Learn more at tandeminnovate.com. Thank you for joining us on What's Working in Washington. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan, online writer Barbara Ulrich, music provided by two D.C. region bands, Two Car Living Room, and The Sunbathers. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening. See you next time.